Refreshing, delicious and packed with the good stuff. It's The Juice with Louise Wilkinson on Newcastle Live Radio. It's Therapy Thursdays, one of my favourite segments here on The Juice and that means it's my pleasure to welcome back one of my favourites, Tony Knight, to Therapy Thursdays. How are you today, Tony? Oh, Louise, I'm, I'm feeling very validated and supported. Thank you very much for those lovely words. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, now, um, we're actually going to be talking about the opposite of that today. <laughs> we are. <laughs> so, look, we've all, you know, had that you know, joke with our girlfriends. Like, you know, my husband, um, you know, he never stacks the dishwasher the way I want it and, you know, and all of that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it can be a little bit of a humorous kind of exchange and, and a couple of barbs, but it gets to a point where we fall into a pattern of criticising our partners and that can be quite damaging. Yes, it can, Louise, and that's what we're going to be talking about is how to stop being critical. Um, and I guess I should start by saying we're not going to stop being critical altogether because only robots can stop being critical. But we can certainly learn how to be a lot less critical. And I know the simple answer seems to be, well, just stop it. Yeah. But if we could just stop it, we would do that. The yeah. truth is that it's it's not quite as easy as that. And so, you know, I think it's important that we talk about how to go about doing that in a way that might be effective because, look, the simple answer is that we need to become powerful adults, as mm. I call them, and powerful adults know how to use their influence yeah. as opposed to trying to control other people or become victims of their behaviour. So how do you influence people? Because, like, with your dishes example there, Obviously, criticising others isn't going to work. It's not a good use of your influence if you want to see some change. So how do you do it? Yeah, yeah. That's what we're going to talk about. Oh, I love it. I love it. Because, yeah, look, it is easy uh, to criticise and it take, it deflects from us as well and it's, uh, you know, and it's steeped in a judgement and it's, mm. you know, it's just not helpful. And if we were all the same, how boring would life be? Mm, mm. Yes. Look, yeah, yeah, I think you've hit on some important things there. And I guess I want to underline the importance of, you know, reining in criticism if you find yourself to be a critical person. So it obviously affects relationships badly, relationships with our friends, with our, our partners and with our kids. In fact, um, John and Julie Gottman, yes. who are arguably the world's most foremost relationship researchers, uh, created some years ago uh, a simulated unit yep, called <laughs> the Love Lab where they stuck yep. cameras in there and watched people being partners. And, yes, as a result of that, they came up with the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Which they were able to... Uh, deduce that these four elements in relationship communication predicted divorce with about a 96% accuracy. Yes. So these people know what they're talking about and criticism is one of the four horsemen. Yeah. You know, so ju just for your uh, information, criticism, stonewalling, contempt and defensiveness. 
Mm. are the four horsemen, um, which they said summons the apocalypse as far as marriages or relationships go. Yes. So we're not just saying that it's kind of nice to stop criticising. It's actually really important to the health of any relationship. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're thinking that maybe it's, you know, not such a big deal, it is a big deal. Look, it certainly is. And, you know, the Gottman Institute, I mean, what if you are in a relationship and you want to, you're interested in the health of that relationship, uh, the Gottman Institute is just such a fabulous resource. And yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are, you know, it's very interesting that in that there isn't adultery and, you know, and there, you know, but these four behaviours are what are going to inform uh, mm. your relationships. Mm. And we don't often think because we we have, I guess, humorised um, criticism that we don't actually give it the importance uh, in terms of it being able to really derail our relationships. That's right. I think it's one of those things that seems harmless enough, but over time can really erode the quality of your relationship um, right to very much spelling the end of it. Uh, and let's face it, it makes sense. No one likes to be criticised. And so, you know, what is the solution then? If we're, if criticism isn't helpful, but you want to make change in your relationship, what do you do instead? Now, of course, the answer is not to say nothing and to put up with, you know, behaviour that perhaps is unhelpful, um, but it's certainly not about personalising it. Mm. And so the answer is actually to make a complaint. So when we say to make a complaint within a relationship, we're not talking about whinging. Mm. This is about raising what you would like to see changed in a way that doesn't personalise it. So that's the difference, if you like, between making a complaint and criticising. Criticising is effectively saying this is a problem and it's because there's something wrong with you, all right? It's personalising it. A complaint simply says I'm not happy with something and I would like to request a change. So that's how you move forward and the way that you do that is through good assertive communication and we've talked about this before but how a complaint could look is something along the lines and if we use the the you know the famous dishes yeah. um complaint because you know that's a common one <laughs> <laughs> it might be something like look um, when you leave all the dishes each night for me to clean, I feel angry about how unfair it seems. So in the future, if I cook, could you please do the dishes after dinner? Yeah. Now, that's not a perfect wording. You could improve on that. You could make it so that it fits your circumstances better. But the key here is that this is about using your influence as a powerful adult. Mm. Criticism is like a throwaway thing. It's a bad habit. We all do it. It's like a reaction out of our anger and our frustration. Reactions don't equal change. They are not the best way to get things done. And so if you want to truly influence the situation to get the best outcome possible, in other words, to see the change actually happen, as well as preserving your relationship, 
It's about not being so reactive out of your feelings. It's about dealing with the feelings and possibly with all, and this is true of all important communications, thinking about it a little bit before you say something. And I always suggest to clients that if you if the communication is important enough, just spend a few moments planning it. In other words, thinking about the key message that you want to say, when is the best time and the location to say it. This is smart influence. This is how you make things happen. And it doesn't, you know, I'm not talking about scripting what you need to say. It's just thinking about it a little bit so that you can use your influence very wisely saying something like what I just said. Mm. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, when we come back, Tony, we might um, we might just dive into that a little bit uh, a little bit more. I have some thoughts that I want to share as well. And we'll be right back with Tony Knight on Therapy Thursdays on the Juice. Well, it is Therapy Thursdays, and we are chatting with Tony Knight today about one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, if that sounds dire, that's pretty much because it is. Uh, the Gottman Institute came up with four markers that, with 96% accuracy, predicted divorce or relationship breakdown and criticism is one of those. Now, we are all guilty of uh, having a beef with our significant other, but Tony is here to talk about the fact that it's important that we approach that the right way and don't get stuck in a criticism loop that ultimately is really going to derail your relationships. Tony Knight, welcome back. Thanks, Louise. Great to be back. Now, we were having a little chat off air and I said after our first segment that it astounds me that, you know, we call it our primary relationship, our intimate relationship. It's the it's our person. It's, you know, and we are so much more respectful of bringing a problem to the table in a work setting that we would like changed in a respectful way with someone that is, you know, on the periphery of our lives Uh and there's like a safety that says, yeah, we can speak terribly to that person because they're our person and they're, they're with us for, for life. And so we don't actually give them, our main person, the respect that we might give Joe in the office uh, who uh, constantly forgets to uh, update the memo. <laughs> Spot on, Louise. It's, it's one of those sad ironies that uh, we reserve our best behaviour for people who perhaps just, you know, really aren't nearly as important mm. um, as, as our people, the people that are closest to us. And I think that that really highlights, you know, the importance of turning that respect back to our nearest and dearest. And just because we're safe in the relationship doesn't mean that we can get away with lots of bad behaviour. We do, and I will grant you it's human nature and it's always going to happen sometimes, no doubt about it, because our loved ones are around us a lot more and they are going to catch us at our worst, for better or for worse. But nevertheless, the important message there, I think, is that, you know, we can bring more respect to those who arguably are the most deserving of it. Yeah, 100%. So, look, let's set up a scenario here. So, uh, we used the dishes example and we talked about how we would phrase that and we mm-hmm. and we said, look, when there's uh, dirty dishes in the sink, 
I feel angry and frustrated and here is a solution that I think we could look at. Mm-hmm. So, but sometimes uh, people have, I guess, a, a real fear of, of that assertiveness and don't know where to start. Absolutely. So while we're saying that this is a really good solution, a good way to move forward, let's face it, if it was easy to do, we'd all be doing it, Mm. right? There are some significant barriers um, to being assertive. Uh, It's just just much harder than it seems for, for many of us. I will say that some of the answer is about developing a habit and practicing assertive communication. It's not always going to be easy at first, but I think that there are some deeper reasons why we do have difficulty uh, being assertive rather than being, you know, like criticism arguably is, is quite an aggressive measure. Yeah. And so one of those things that we need to address, if you like, to make assertiveness easy is, is our emotions. So what we'll often do is just let it go, let it go, let it go, um, you know, having to do the dishes night after night, even though we're tired, even though we cook dinner, until the anger and the resentment builds up and we tend to explode. Mm. Um, so being aware of our energy levels and managing our feelings well, and I've talked about that on a different program, but, you know, uh, managing our feelings is about, you know, getting clear about what's going on, so getting our energy levels down to a kind of, you know, a state where we can think things through, um, solving problems, and then being able to deal with the inner stuff as well. And I guess that's where we're going here. So it's important to, you know, look at some of the underlying stuff that might be causing this. And Mm. the experts call them schemas. We can call them core beliefs. Right. But some of the core beliefs that we picked up earlier in life and that still basically form some of the operating software, if you like, for, for who we are, Uh, perhaps have never been useful, but certainly are probably not useful at this stage of our life. And some of those core beliefs uh, can certainly make assertive communication very difficult, can make being respectful to our partners very difficult. So there's lots of potential ones there, but I'll just highlight a couple of examples. So if, for example, we were criticised a lot as children, you know, we may have an underlying schema or core belief that we are not very capable um, Mm. as adults. And one of the ways that we can deal with the feelings around that, because let's face it, if we we have that, you know, a measure of that basic belief that we're not very capable people, um, you know, we're we're feeling bad a lot of the time. We bring that into our relationships, of course, without being aware of it. And we can find ourselves overcompensating by being critical of others because we feel to some extent like failures ourselves. Another example of a core belief that can really drive this behaviour of criticising others can be if um, our parents or significant others, you know, growing up um, had very, very high standards. And once again, there is criticism of us involved there, but that we were led to believe that we needed to perform at an extremely high level in everything that we do, otherwise we weren't a very worthwhile person. Mm. And so one of the ways that we bring that into our adulthood and cope with it 
um, is that it becomes an expectation of others as well. It's almost like if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for everyone else. And it's not like we consciously decide that. This happens well below the surface and we just have an expectation that others need to, you know, measure up, read our mind, do things to a very high level. And if they don't, we feel that gives us the right to criticise them in Mm. the way that we were criticised. Now, as I said, there could be others as well, and this can drive our behaviour unconsciously. It doesn't justify what we do. It doesn't make criticising other people okay. But it does help us to understand why it's so difficult to change that behaviour because our operating software is driving us in ways that we don't usually recognise in the moment. Yes. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, So, yeah, it is sort of worth just taking a moment, checking in with yourself and and sort of asking yourself whether this is is a, a previous software program that is informing this um, irritation that we have with our partner Mm -hmm. Um, and then recognising it and maybe going, okay, well, uh, there's a whole load of stuff here that I don't actually want to project onto them. So let's keep it. This is the problem. This is how I feel. This is a solution that I think might work. What do you think? Yeah, and, and so it's when you become aware of some of that operating software, now you're starting to take control. Now you can start to see and observe how it plays out in your relationship, and that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, your operating software can be quite resistant to change. I'm yes. not going to say it's an instant fix, right, because yep. it's powerful. It it. it it formed early in life before you had a chance to choose what you believe. Yep. And it's been reinforced over the years, right? Yes. So it can resist change. But nevertheless, we weren't born with those beliefs. And so those beliefs can change. We can literally start by not only identifying some of those unhelpful beliefs, but choosing now what we do believe as powerful, influential adults. And so we can learn to anticipate some of those key situations where this operating software is likely to kick in and we're likely to be critical of those around us. And, you know, managing our emotions well means that also we can insert a pause, a moment where we take a breath and recognise that we have a choice Mm. and choosing to do differently. And this is a new habit that can take a while to strengthen, but nevertheless, each time we choose in favour of what we want to believe now as opposed to the beliefs that were kind of forced on us as kids, okay, we are doing something powerful and positive for ourselves and for our key relationships. And I will say to people, there are some self-help books out there that can help you with this process. But if you find that it's quite distressing, I'm going to recommend that you get help with this because, you know, having, you know, uh, I guess a qualified helper, someone who knows this stuff and knows how to help you, means that you are going to change sooner and more effectively than if you were just doing it on your own because if it's distressing, let's face it, it's going to be one of those things that you're not going to want to to work on. And you might choose not to, but I'm going to say to you, hey, no matter what stage you are in your life, working on 
you know, developing beliefs that really suit who you are as a person and how, you know, in, in ways that benefit your relationships is going to be so beneficial to you that no matter what age you are, now is the time to make those changes because they can be made. They're not always easy, but they can be made and having good support is going to make that job so much easier. I love that. What a powerful message today, Tony, and one that I'm sure everybody can relate to. We all come up against uh, conflict or areas of irritation in our relationships and being able to recognise our part in that and then how we bring that to the table in a respectful way is key. So I really thank you for sharing that with us today. Uh, that was Tony Knight, our resident psychotherapist, and you're listening to The Juice on Newcastle Live Radio.